Wake up, Indy. Naptown's a thing of the past. Join us as we talk success, personal growth, leadership, and more. No matter your location or your job title, we want to see you grow. Podcasting from Indianapolis, Indiana, this is As Indy Grows with your hosts, Taylor and Remington. Welcome back to the show. This is Remington Ramsey and my co-host, Taylor J. Hall. Boom goes the dynamite. Every episode, you're welcome. We have an awesome guest today. But before we get into our guest, Taylor, I uh, was on my way here and um, I heard about this story. This happened in Indianapolis. And, and honestly, Indianapolis, you should be proud of this. This guy should not be. Uh, this guy who they don't say his name. Oh, they do say his name, but I'm gonna, not going to say his name because I don't want him to become famous because of me. This guy's driving in Indianapolis going 100 miles an hour and he's filming himself go 100 miles an hour on Facebook Live and then posts it to his profile. The cops find out because that gets around, go to his house, prosecute him, take him. He's, he's, he's actually in jail, gets out of jail and then on the way to get his sentencing, he does it again. Is this guy not crazy or what? This is Indianapolis I just thought that was kind of interesting, being that we are all in Indianapolis and this guy is trying to kill us. Hold all. on, I just can we get an age? This Does guy age? is twenty-eight years old. I thought it was you when I first read it, but then I remembered you have a Prius, so it gets up. Over does it 100. even? It does go it over hundred. Over hundred, you'd be awesome. surprised. I feel like you're like Fred Flintstone in the Prius, just going as fast as you can with your feet. No, that would be loud. The Prius doesn't make noise. Eric, do you drive fast? Uh, no, not really. Not typically. Listen, you can't I mean, talk here. We haven't introduced you. Limit. People don't know who you are. We got to introduce you first. <laughs> Take it easy over there. All right. The theme of the show today is Zero to Hero. And the reason why is our guest in 2012 had $10 in his bank account, which most of you, I'm guessing, had more than that in 2012, and went from that to selling paint and from selling paint to making $1.3 million in gross commissions sales and real estate last year in indianapolis welcome to the show mr eric forney hey, thanks guys appreciate that it's a little embarrassing to uh mention i had ten dollars but yeah sorry about that of it. it's uh it but it is what it is right yeah, i mean ten dollars in your bank account and um i remember you know where there's a lot of entrepreneurs that come on the show um and th there's almost a sense of pride of where you came from to where you got to and so i'm glad you shared that with yeah. me i think that's I think that's relatable. I don't know that how many people got that far down. Yeah. Um, but was that, I guess I'll just start with that. Was that decisions that you made that, that got you to that point? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I think as an entrepreneur, you have this mindset that whatever you do, you just can't fail. And I think that's unfortunately how I think. And I don't, I don't know that I have an inflated self-worth. It's just that I'll figure out how to make it work if things go wrong. And so, um, you know, I was making at the time probably 40, 45, 50,000 and uh, somehow thought it'd be a good idea to buy two houses as an investment and rehab them simultaneously. Ooh. And um, things didn't go according to plan. And, and that so was before you were in real estate. Yeah. Yeah. It was before I had a real estate license. And uh, I mean, I remember I, I had ten, $10 and probably $70,000 in credit card debt. And returning um, building supplies to Menards because they sell groceries. So I had a $96 gift card at Menards. And I, I remember standing in their like makeshift grocery aisle and thinking, okay, what can I buy for $96 that will last me the longest? And I got dried soup, 
and cereal and milk. So I figured I could wow. get the most amount of meals out of those two <laughs> items. So did you know that Menards had groceries? Is that what you know? You I don't want to make light of this. <laughs> I don't want to make light of this. Yes, and we've had the dry soup. It's actually good. Yeah, is it and dry you, when you eat it? No, it's dry. You make it at home, but they have a bunch of different types of soup, and they're actually really good. Yeah, of all the things he just said, we should say take the next twenty minutes and talk about dry soup. That's <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You oh, ask. I'm man. telling you, it's good. So Menards. Okay, good. Um, I have never personally shopped at Menards for my uh, groceries, so you learn something in every podcast, I guess. Uh, that's fantastic. And so you're not, an, but at that point you're not an entrepreneur. And even when you go to sell paint, technically not really an entrepreneur. Yeah. It wasn't until you decided. I mean, what made you decide? Hey, I'm tired of living a. a this life, you know, and, and not, not to knock against people who do sell paint, you know, I'm sure yeah. you can make a decent living at that. But as an employee and not not doing what you wanted to be doing, why did you change? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've always had that entrepreneur side to me. And I've always thought that that I could do a little bit of anything. And and so, you know, when I when I was selling paint, um, you know, I might have side hustle painting painting houses or painting rooms or anything I could to generate any additional money. And so um, I think that's always been my thing is, is how can I continue to improve myself and take what I do know and make some money? And so I, I watch my customers come in and, you know, some we're talking, I'm selling to painters. I mean, well, there's some guys that don't have a GED and I'd make maybe watch them make $30,000 flipping a house. And I thought if if this guy can do it, then so can I. Well, I didn't know anything about construction, and I had never owned a home before. Um, so it didn't quite go according to plan, but but I thought I could do it at least. And technically, from what I understand from your story, you were kind of let go from that job. Yeah. Was that a pivotal moment in, in a decision time? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I what I, I basically had, had, I had been with Sherwin-Williams for seven years, and I had decided that no longer something I wanted to do. And so... I, I did the math and I said, okay, well, if I could flip four houses a year, I could essentially double my income and then I would never have to worry about calling on painters ever again. And so that was my goal. I was going to flip four houses a year. Well, I bought one house that was way too big of a project and I ended up having to invest too much time in that project and not enough time in my job. And so, um, but it was all in. I mean, I, I burnt the boats and, and didn't go back. So, hmm. um, so that, it worked boats. out pretty well. Hashtag burn, burn the, the boats. boats. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to catch on, but uh, I'm sure it will. It, it could, I guess. Let's talk about habits. Yeah. Okay. It sounds like some of the habits you may have kicked were just focusing your time on something that was a, a better option for you. But for, for someone who has been through something, maybe not on a scale of this magnitude, what are the habits that you kicked and what good habits did you start implementing that really got you to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm really obsessive about learning. And I think that's the biggest thing that has really been a predictor of success for me is, is, is you know, it's all about input and matching my output. And so what I had to do was change what I was inputting every day. And that was that was a knowledge based thing. And so um, I've had to basically change my entire routine and try to learn as much as possible. So I would stand at the paint counter and ask contractors questions about how to hang drywall, how to make a drywall repair, you know, how to install hardwood floors, because I had no experience of doing that, but I at least ask enough questions to learn. And, and the biggest habit change now has been whatever the topic is that I need improvement on, 
is just being all in on on learning that however I can. That reminds me of uh, the quote, dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Yeah. And for the for those of you listening, you can't see Eric right now, but this is a one sharp dress sharp dude. Dressed. Have you always been, do you always dress like this? You know, I'm a little metro when it comes to my uh, to my wardrobe, but, um, <laughs> but, it, but you know, I, one of the changes I made mentally was to, to change um, the way I dressed. I, I've told this story before and you know, I, I got into real estate and I got a call on a lead for like a house for like 1.2 million. Somebody wanted um, to see it. Well, I'd never been in a million dollar house. I didn't know what somebody who could buy a million dollar house did for a living, how much money they made. I didn't know any of that stuff. And so uh, I was supposed to be at a bachelor party that weekend that they wanted to see houses. I skipped going to the bachelor party and I stayed home and I looked at every single million dollar house that had sold in Indy for five for the last five years. Wow. And and I basically took notes as to what the expected features of the house were, what someone would expect. And I showed up in a suit and I showed up prepared and they never knew any different. Hmm. How many houses were that? Do you remember? No, I don't. I don't remember, but I know not a lot of them sell every year. Sure. Not, so, as, not as many as I wish they did. Especially in Indianapolis. Yeah. And that's the thing. I, you know, we were talking before the show started that you have um, essentially, you, you, when you hear those numbers, $1.3 million in gross commissions in a year, you think, okay, this guy's selling the big properties. This, there's not a lot of them in Indianapolis because yeah. the, the market's pretty you know, inexpensive for the most part across the country. He, this guy's selling all the million dollar properties, but that's not true. Your average sale is what? Yeah, I mean we're we're right now really in the low low two hundreds, um, and not where we want to be. Now, one thing we've tried to do a, a good job of is start to build predictable revenue because I think that real estate agents do a poor job of actually having a predictable revenue model, and so we've started working with investors more, and that brings the average price point down a little bit. So on our retail side, we're probably in the like two forty ish range. But when you when you factor investors and retail in, we're we're really right around two hundred, so just the total market average. So I mean people hear those numbers, they're like, Well, I, I wish I could just sell one home and make that yeah. much money, but he's just working that much harder. When you have that average sale, you're just working harder than everybody else. Do you watch million dollar listing? I've never watched it. Never no, watched I don't it? have I don't have cable. Am I allowed to say that? You, yes, you can say that. <laughs> yeah, because our yeah. show does not air on cable. So okay, you okay, no, you've cut the how long have you not cut yet, the cord for? Oh gosh, I don't know. Probably the last three years. Wow! So a million dollars, one hundred and eighty dollars a month. I can't. Yeah, I, I mean, can't take on that expense. <laughs> I mean, you you come a long Times way. Times are tough. Yes. $10 so million dollar account. listing. That's you see the commissions they make on these. Oh, I mean, yeah. we're talking ten plus, twenty plus million dollar homes, right. and yeah, I think people see that, and you know, it's obviously our market's a lot different, but. It's just so unrealistic. It's like seeing someone else post something on social and think just because they did it. You know what else is unrealistic though? Speaking of like those, are you going to talk about your hands for our viewers that are watching? Because you just <laughs> no, put them out there. Yeah, I mean, and I was cares? like, what's he doing? It doesn't matter what I do. My this what is you the radio show. What are you doing? No, what else is real unrealistic is those shows that are like the fixer upper shows. Oh, yeah. they're yeah. like so. John and Sally have a budget of twenty dollars, and they're going to renovate this entire home. And they're quoting prices that are just so ridiculous. Right. How they, so at being in real estate, how yeah. do they get away with that? Like, how are, are there literally parts of town that are just like way cheaper to, to build a home or what? Are, I mean, what's going on there? I mean, well, it's hard to say like what happens. I mean, you do see, you know, people who like buy wholesale properties that are run down and, you know, take advantage of sellers and stuff. I saw the other day 
the city sold a property to uh, someone who flips here in town for five hundred dollars. Wow! So, you know, there there are some renewal efforts where the city may give property away at a significant discount for it to be updated. But yeah, for the most part, in our market, those numbers don't work. I mean, I think the best the best project I've had is probably forty thousand, and that's one project that's been anywhere close to that from a 40,000 as in a renovation project. Sorry. Yeah. As far as, so, so I flip as well. Um, and you know, on a very small scale, uh, and I think 40,000 is probably the most profit I've earned on a, on a flip. And what's the, what's the price range of the home? That one actually, I got lucky. That one was one, one forty. Okay. And, and I feel that's a pretty popular, uh, in India at least, that's a pretty popular, between 150 and 200 is correct. some of the most popular price ranges for flips, from what I understand. Is that yeah, accurate? Yeah, and you can, and what you can do as well is you can get people to overpay for them. So when I bought it, I was running numbers on 125 because that was where it comped. But because it was developed so well and there's such a shortage of inventory, we could charge an extra 10% essentially, and, and that was all profit, so... So this is interesting. I mean, we're filming this in the GVC Mortgage. We're, we're definitely a real estate-based podcast for the most part. And I want to get back to some of your coaching and speaking that you do. Yeah. But before we do that, um, just speaking to your expertise as a realtor, why do you think the, the market, the Indianapolis market, is such a hot market for real estate? Well, I mean, part of it is, you know, anywhere you go online, you can find people who are, are advising you to invest in Indianapolis real estate. It seems like Kansas City and Indianapolis are the most popular ones. I mean, you, you get some Cleveland and Detroit sprinkled in, but, but a lot of it is Detroit. because... Yeah. Well, I mean, because you buy mm-hmm. so cost effectively right. and, and you know, there's so much money poured into the economy there. But, mm. but in Indy, you still get a pretty good r- return rate on an investment from a buy and hold perspective. And so, you know, I can buy a ranch for a buck 20 still in like the, in the townships and, and rent it for 12, 12.50 a month. You know, if you leverage that with a mortgage, you're talking somewhere around 20% cash on cash return sometimes. So where else can you borrow someone else's money and get, mm. you know, 20% return rate? Um, that's a big part of it. I see a ton of people get taken advantage of because they buy sight unseen from California, New York, wherever, mm-hmm. because they see how cheap things are. And then they buy a dumpster fire and turn around and have to resell it, which is good for us. You but, think it's typically the out-of-town buyers oh, that absolutely. happens to? Absolutely. I mean, my opinion is the investment business is the most crooked portion of the real estate process and that, you know, it's easy to go online and hmm. and sell what an amazing deal you have, what a great rate of return is. Uh, there are paper rates of returns, you know, where you put a spreadsheet together and that's the rate of return that you should get. And then there's the real-life rate of return, which is what you actually get at by the time you have to put a new furnace and roof and evict a tenant and everything else. So there's what people are sold online versus the reality. And this is good stuff. This is, this is a lot of good stuff. I would like to pause for a minute to have Taylor tell you guys where you can get a hold of us, because I feel like there's going to be a lot of questions from this podcast and I'd love to be able to answer them. Uh, either on social media or through email or something like that. So where can people find us, Taylor? So if you are a viewer or a listener, you can find us on Twitter at As Indie Grows, Instagram As Indie, Gr- As Indie Grows, Facebook As Indie Grows. Mm. You can check us out on our website, asindiegrows.com, Man. or send us an email at asindiegrows 
at gmail.com. That's how you brand. That well, there's a huge amount of it. It wasn't yeah. very subtle, was it? <laughs> I, I have a question. Yeah. If Amazon comes to Indianapolis, what does that mean for for the real estate talk. market? It's a lot of talk about this. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I guess I guess what is really a big shortage of inventory problem mm-hmm. becomes that much worse. More magnified. You know? I mean, that that to me is the biggest problem. Is what does that do to what's already an inventory crisis? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we fix that? How do we, I hear this all the time. There's not yeah. enough inventory. Who needs to fix it, and how do we fix it? Well, I mean, the, there's you know, I guess it depends on who you ask. You know, from just hearing multiple angles and approaches to it, there's there's several several issues. I mean, municipalities are uh, enacting more strict architectural guidelines that causes the cost to go up. Of course, um, land prices are not cheap at this point. Building costs are, are not cost effective. Now, having been on the other side of the building process as someone who sold construction goods and materials, I would say that profits have gone up significantly on the on the builder side. I don't hmm. think that the material costs have gone up to the degree in which people have claimed, but um, that's an argument for another day. And then, you know, it, it's it's also, but it's a national problem. You know, we there really is no affordable housing options across the country, and mm. unless someone comes up with a way to do somewhat manufactured housing at a cost-effective rate, it's only going to get worse. Hmm. I, I don't foresee it getting better. So it seems like you put so much time into that first million-dollar listing that you were going to go and try and pitch yourself for. So obviously, you wouldn't have done that. I feel just from vibing yeah. if you didn't have a passion for that was is becoming a realtor is that because part of your passion for flipping and parlaying that into the real estate side yeah i mean i have a passion now for sure for real estate and and pretty much all things real estate related but but i'm also one of those people that when i commit to doing something i really immerse myself in it so you know when i got a job selling paint which was never and ever what I envisioned I would do in life, uh, you know, I immerse myself in learning about mm-hmm. the molecular content of a gallon of paint, which is do, the nerdiest you know thing ever. Is? Like, nope. I'm sure I mean, he can sell you a gallon right <laughs> no. now, though. Yeah, I just I can tell he could. When's the last time you sold paint? Uh, you know, I got let go from Sherwin Williams in 2013, and the next week I started a, uh, with Bear Paint. Mm-hmm. I worked there for a year and a half, I think. So. Actually, I, I want to say it was August of 2015. Okay. That's probably the last So, time. but when you're, because uh, you, you buy and sell no, and flip, August, yeah, you August. flip homes, do you ever get a paint quote and you're like, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> he can call yeah. these people well, out next time immediately. I a paint job bid, he's going to send it to you. Yeah. He's going to be in oh, my gosh. house and be like, all right, you talk to this guy. I mean, that's a huge value add for our customers, though, is that we manage a lot of remodel projects sure. for them. And so, you know, we manage... You know, I've got painters working today for out-of-state sellers. They're having their house repainted so that we can list it next week. We have flooring contractors that we use. It's a big selling feature for us is the amount of money that we save them on their their rehab bids typically offsets whatever cost difference that there may or may not be between us and a discount agent or, or you know, someone who's cost-cutting. So your knowledge is taking you. Your, your knowledge and your passion is taking you to a place where now you speak. Uh, you're a keynote yeah. speaker, uh, coach of some sorts. I, 
I've I've actually heard you speak this this past week. I did, and there's three things that I wanted uh, you to speak to on the podcast. Um, the first one is systems. You talk a lot about systems. The second one is people, uh, which I'm assuming is, is relationships, and the and the third one is is money. Um, and I think you look at all three of them kind of differently than a lot of people do, and that's probably what attests to your success in this. So let's start with number one in systems. So what are your beliefs about systems? So for you know, I, I find this fascinating because as a real estate agent, people think of the traditional real estate agent as really as a mom and pop type business, as a relationship business. And and it is. And that's how I set out for it to be. And, and what happened was basically I grew the business at such a pace where it couldn't be a one person job anymore. And so in order to keep growing, because I wasn't willing to not grow anymore, in order to keep growing the business, we had to start putting in systems to allow it to grow. And that's what every other business does, but real estate agents do a, do a miserable job of, is duplicating themselves. Why is that? Because I think it's an ego business for one, is you think you're the only one who can do the job hmm. to the same degree. And that may or may not be true, but what I found is, is that... Um, while I may or may not be able to do the job, I might not be as effective and I might not be as fast at doing it. Um, and so we've had to have systems that that allow what I do to be duplicatable as much as possible and, and get leveraged out to the second one, which is people. And so so people for, uh, for my business has been huge because you know we sold 207 houses last year. I can't do that as one person. You know, and to sell 300 houses, I need that many more people. And so, um, you know, I'm fortunate and I have an amazing operations director who is better with systems than I am. I have the ability to typically foresee what problems we're going to have. I just don't do as well as actually implementing them. And so, um, you know, so we work well and that I do the vision piece of it very well. And he does the integration mm -hmm. side. And he also does well on the vision piece, but uh, but definitely more on the integration. And then, and then we're now we just start to look is where does the system break down, and then where do we insert a person? And so you know we believe that when when there's a problem, you're missing a person. Hmm. And um, and so now we're looking for for more people. Is that your quote? Because I'm gonna I'm gonna quote it. I don't think it's my quote. No, I probably stole <laughs> it from someone. Let's be real. Steal from so, the best. What was uh, that again? That was really good. Where there's a problem, you're missing a person. Mm. And, and you know, what we know now is that as I keep growing and we have big goals for the business, that, I have, that we have to keep hiring. And, you know, so we brought someone on last month, and I've done a poor job of training them, which means that I'm missing a person, and that's someone whose job it is, is to hire, train, recruit, and, um, and manage because I'm out on appointments or doing things like this. So we're looking for a sales director so that we can continue pacing up. And in real estate, in our market, I don't know of any teams that have have a sales director. Um, but that's the next phase for us in growth is we can leverage to 10, 20 agents, 400, 500 sales a year by having additional layers of management. And the third one is money. And I've heard your take on money, and it's a little different basically making your money work for you. But what are your thoughts yeah. on money? Yeah. So, I mean, especially as it pertains to real estate, I mean, one of the things that we're not afraid to do is reinvest into the business. So, you know, I take a salary from the business that is low by income standards, given, you know, the substantial amount of income that we generate, I take a salary from that. And then we, we double down on, on reinvesting into the business. 
And, um, and I try to pay people well. Typically, we pay better than our competitors because, um, because I think that, again, if we have problems, I need people, and I need the best people to fix those problems. Um, and then we track and measure the return on all of that. You know, So if, I, if we spend 70000 on a marketing campaign, it better bring us five to one on that. I'm glad you brought that up because I was just going to ask, what does reinvesting in your business mean to you? Is it hiring that person? Is it putting more money into a digital ad campaign? Is it sponsoring an event? Yeah. I mean, is it just a little bit of everything? All of those. Yeah, I mean, we, do, we do all of those. So, I mean, we sponsor client events, and then we track and measure them. I, mean, I use an example. We, we rented out, um, we got 140-ish tickets, I think, for a suite at the Indianapolis Indians game last year. And it rained that day. It cost us $6,500, $6,600 to do that. Um, it rained, and probably like half the people didn't show up. And then, so let's say 70 people showed up. Well, we rented out space at the Indianapolis Zoo. We got 210 tickets for like $3,500. Um, and those people that didn't show up, the zoo reimbursed us money. We had more people show up to the zoo for half the price. Mm-hmm. So the Indians game is trash, right? We're not going to do that again. Um, we we just no offense Indians yeah, yeah. Right. no offense it's not the Indians fault it's my Indians. clients there, it was it was the weather <laughs> there was the weather it fault. was the weather it's <laughs> true so so yeah I mean we we track all of that engagement and then you know in our CRM we track who shows up who doesn't who sends referrals uh, who buys and sells and somewhat of the ROI of the customer really mm-hmm. which is not normal in our business. All right, well, we're going to ask uh, that you ask our listeners the question of the day. So this is just basically a question based on what we've been talking about. What's the question that you can challenge our listeners with? But first, uh, we got some Taylor's takeaways. So Taylor, Taylor's take takeaways. So it's not Tay-Tay or Tay's takeaways. <laughs> Tay-Tay, Tay-Tay takeaways. So I think one of the big things people, or one of the main problems people will have in either a management or a leadership capacity is being able to delegate. Feeling comfortable enough to pass yep, I wrote that some down responsibilities down to them. And uh, my personal rule with them is if they can do 80% of what I think I can do and the other 20% is just small logistics, I'm good with that. So being able to delegate is going to add a lot of uh, time back into your day, which I think is huge. The other one is reinvest in your business. It's very cliche because you hear a lot of people say this, but there's so many people that have the entrepreneur mindset where you know, they're making a lot of money in the business. And as opposed to taking a huge salary, what they're doing is they're doubling down on their strengths. I think it's very smart. You're looking at your analytics, figuring out what works and actually putting more money into that. That's very huge. What is your question of the day, my friend? Ooh. Um, so, you know, I guess I'll, I'll probably, I, I love this question because I think it, it summarizes me and the question we kind of should ask ourselves every day is, is, uh, you know, today are you being uh, are, today are you focusing on a lack of resources or resourcefulness? Mm. You know, and so um, I mean, we live in an age in which you can get the answer to anything on earth you want, whether it's you want to learn how to put on a podcast or buy and sell a house. You know, it's it's resources versus resourcefulness, and and which one are you going to be? I love it. Thank you, Eric. Thank Where you. there is a problem, you're missing a person with Eric Forney. Great stuff, buddy. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thank podcast. you very much. Thank you. As Indie Grows is sponsored by GVC Mortgage Inc., NMLS number 2334, Equal Housing Opportunity.